Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Hannah Davidson. She's the author and co-founder of the award-winning children's book initiative, My Big Moments. They're personalized picture books which are backed by research and expert consultation that help little people through big problems. Hannah's here with me today to talk about how her experience of guiding her children through their own personal traumas has brought more meaning and purpose to both her work as a writer and a role as a mother. Welcome, Hannah. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself, how you ended up doing what you're doing, and then tell me what you mean about helping your children through their traumas and what the books are too. Sure. Let's start with the books because that's pretty straightforward. So we write books for kids aged about two to seven years. You can personalize them online. So they are really in the story and driving the story forward and coming up with all of these ideas to help their friend who's in the position of the main character through his difficult situation. So we work with child development experts who are experts in psychology, neuroscience, play therapy, and all of that sort of stuff to consult with us as we write the books so that anything that we're suggesting in the books as helpful strategies and activities and ideas and vocabulary is actually going to be really helpful in that child's real life situation. So the books cover all kinds of different topics. We have uh, one on building resilience, getting ready to start school, having a new baby join the family, a new sibling join the family, grief and loss and going to hospital. So there's five in the range so far and we can, everyone can go on and see full personalised previews at mybigmoments.com so that also when a parent is looking at the book and, and trying to figure out if this is going to be really helpful for their child, they can go and look and read through the whole thing and see if that resonates with them, uh, which I think is really important because everyone likes to deal with things in different ways. But uh, for us, it was quite personal. My business partner, Flipper Williams and I, we came up with the idea when we had really young kids ourselves and we were talking about that sense of feeling isolated and overwhelmed by the prospect of doing this really important job in our lives, but one where often you feel like you're winging it and not really feeling like we had enough support around us, enough information around us so that we could do the best job that we could for our kids. And so we came up with with this idea and we thought, oh my God, I mean, what a brilliant idea, how simple it sounds. And then of course, once we got working on it, we realized in fact, it was a beast of a thing. But by then we were committed and we loved it because it meant that we could sort of give that sense of a village and support to people like us in our situation that wanted to do the best for their kids but needed some more information needed some more support needed ways that they could open those big conversations with their kids and guide them through it and so it's been a a really personal journey for us as well and also we've got to learn 
just the best stuff because as a byproduct of working with all these experts in, in child development and psychology and neuroscience and, and all of that, I figured out how to be a much better parent myself. So I think, you know, my kids have really benefited from that. I've learned a hell of a lot. I've learned also a great deal, understood a great deal more about my own childhood and the things that I experienced and being able to process a lot of those experiences through doing that. So it's been, it's taken us on this whole very exciting journey and it this doesn't really feel like slowing down. That's a little bit about the books. And the other thing that we do, the, the business sort of has, like water trying to find a course downhill, has taken us in various different directions, whether we anticipated that or not. And the other thing is that we started, obviously, an Instagram page. And as we got to know our audience and and what they wanted and what resonated with them and what they needed for support, we discovered that, in fact, it wasn't all about here's some resources for your kids and this will help for this reason. Actually, what parents needed was a lot of support themselves. So ways to support their well-being, their role as a parent, their identity as a parent, and then when we can help them be in a really good place themselves, then they're in a better place to give those extra resources to the people around them so that community that we've created around our Instagram page and our Facebook page um, for my big moments has been really important as well and getting feedback from people who feel understood and who feel that they have some more information who feel empowered by that has been has given us a real sense of meaning and purpose for what we're doing yeah that, I didn't answer all the questions. I know. No, that's okay. That's okay. That, what you're saying there about that support, that's really interesting because I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. It's like when you start being a carer for somebody who's terminally ill or whatever, and the first thing they say to you is, as a carer is you've got to take care of yourself first. And it's the same kind of thing, isn't it, that you're saying, that the parents yeah. need that support so they can best support their children. Absolutely. And it's something that I feel really passionate about as well for parents, because when you look at the effects of sleep deprivation, what it has, the the effects it has on your brain and your health and your well-being and your physiology, there's a reason that they use it as a method of torture. But I think as parents, we feel like we take for ourselves last after everybody else. But by the time you've got there, you're left with so few resources. So by the time you've got, you've been irritable, you've been tired, you've been struggling, you're feeling overwhelmed. The experience that you're having is not a good experience. And of course, other people around you can perceive that things aren't all well and good within mum or dad or their caregiver. And kids often will, will take that personally. I get this feedback from my children and sometimes now they go, mum, I don't think you had a good enough sleep last night. <laughs> Just a nice way of saying like, mum, you're, you're not being, you're being pretty grumpy, not being very nice right now. Like I, I had the situation with my son where he was, I was getting him to try on his ski clothes for the ski trip we did in winter and he was mucking around and I was tired and and I wanted him through the bath, his teeth brushed, in his pyjamas. The whole thing was taking too long. And my tone really made him, you know, realise I was feeling pretty irritable. And I was saying, can you just go and brush your teeth? And he said, I'm doing it. And then he said, mum, can we agree not to yell at each other next time? <laughs> 
And so, you know, they will let you know. But that's a situation where I wasn't in a position where I was, I had the resources that I needed to be able to parent in a way that was conscious and thoughtful and not have a knock-on effect to the kids. I'm in a lucky position. My children will give me some feedback, but some kids will just take that stuff and they will internalize it and they make the stories about themselves because that's where they're at. They really think that they are, for not any selfish narcissistic reasons, but it's just the way that their brain is, they will think that they are the center of the world. And if something is not right with the people around them, they will take that personally. They believe that, that they have done something wrong. So we have to be, it's not just, we're not taking for us. We are giving ourselves enough fuel, enough gas in the tank so that we can actually go the distance for the people around us because it is a demanding job and it is relentless. And we can't underestimate that and how important it is that we maintain our own well-being just so that we have enough to give for everybody else around us. Talk to me about the books because I didn't realise before how they actually worked. should have done my research better because you were saying that you write them. Like I had it when the, the idea of personalised, it was just the name changed and something, but it's obviously something much deeper than that. Tell me what you mm-hmm. do. What happens? Yeah, so, so what happens is, well, usually we have our topic that we want to talk about. And Say, for example, we've got building resilience or, or going to school or something like that. And I will go away and I will consult with our experts and I will interview them. So I understand what's happening in a child's brain around this time. Um, What support do they need? What challenges are they having? What language do they need to get a hold of? And really understand what they need in in relation to that and, and where the difficulties are and what are the challenges that they need to overcome. And then we'll form our story around this. But We've thought very carefully about the, the dynamic in the book. So there's a main character called Perry, and then the personalized child comes in as Perry's best friend to help him through his difficulty because we didn't want to confront kids. First of all, they, everyone has their own very specific real-life dynamics and situations that we can't possibly reflect in a, in a general way in terms of family makeup and environments and personal issues and all that sort of thing. That was the other thing. The other thing is that we didn't want the the child coming in to be confronted by that pointy situation. So say that was a grief and loss situation. We actually want to bring them in as the child who has some strategies, some language, some tools and activities and things that they can actually do to help move through that situation, process that situation and and do things that are going to turn what could be quite daunting into something that could be empowering and give them more skills that they're able to use in real life themselves. So that's the dynamic, the way that we set it up. And then as the kids move through the experience and the stories, we have interwoven language and strategies and activities and ideas that then they'll be able to use themselves so that they've got that in their arsenal when they are feeling challenged. It gives them a dry run at these things as well. So as they're going through, they can recognize the different emotions that they're having. Maybe they're feeling worried. They can recognize that those physical sensations of having like a wobbly tummy or feeling frustrated, um, feeling all hot and, and what those physical sensations are like as well. And they can see that. We don't sugarcoat any of that stuff because we have to 
recognize that uh, emotions are normal and natural and valid and they're having a, a real experience that needs to be acknowledged that they need to acknowledge that as well but they go through and they get a bit of a practice run at this it creates a sense of predictability around different experiences and that gives them a greater sense of security when they're going into them and confidence that they're like this isn't going to be all new I've seen this before and I think I know what I can do or I know who I can ask for help I know the words that I need to say or I can recognize the experience that I'm having so we've thought a lot about that the other thing that is important is the the personalization factor and we are about to bring out our books um, in a standard version as well that will be available in retail stores in New Zealand in the new year which is exciting but the personalization factor is more than it being cute and fun they get their name in there they get their own personal dedication from whoever's given them the book they also have their character avatar so what the character looks like is a likeness of them so they get to see themselves going in and acting this whole scenario out and being kind of a hero of the story the other thing is that when information is personalized and they hear their name it actually creates a lot of neural activity in their brains so which switches them on every time that they're hearing their name and and by doing that they can actually take in the information and recall it later so in terms of a learning tool when someone's sitting down and they've got that quiet one-on-one time with their child that's a really safe space for the child when the child can really relax and come into their parasympathetic nervous system so their their brains are engaged their frontal cortex is engaged they're having a nice warm bonding experience with the person who's sitting and reading to them they're also having a moment where they've got that person's full and undivided attention so if there's something that they're concerned about or they want to talk about that's a good opportunity and then they are having the experience of their brain switching on and taking on information that's actually really going to help them move through a tricky experience or, or understand their experiences much better. There's a lot going on. There's <laughs> a lot going on. <laughs> My brain's whirling. <laughs> so if talk to me about, I was going to say why you started doing this, because there were a few key events that happened mm. that made you, t- talk to me about those. Yeah, so I I guess that the first one was Flickr and I really having a good, honest conversation with one another and understanding that we were having a kind of a shared experience, but that completely isolated from one another at the same time. We were both feeling overwhelmed by what we were doing. We're both feeling isolated. We're both feeling unsure. And until we had that conversation, we weren't sharing that with one another. So we weren't having access to the support um, from our community of parents. So that was one thing. And I was a writer well, I am, still am, still here. She has a background in in branding and graphic design and logistics. And so we're like, well, we can bring this together and this can really work. We came up with this idea and then it might've been only six weeks later when I was back home, we were struck by the Kakapura earthquake. We were 10 kilometers from the epicenter. It was 7.8 magnitude earthquake and we were on the top story of an old wooden farmhouse, which we felt during that two and a half minutes was going to be coming down on our heads and, and on the heads of our children and feeling completely like we might not make it through that experience. So we threw our kids over our shoulders and, and when the shaking stopped, we got out of that house because we didn't know if it was it would even stay up for us. And so we had this experience with our children as my ex-husband and I where they had experienced massive trauma, we had experienced massive trauma, and we were also in the position where we had to put our 
whole lives back together and we had to learn how to function in amongst all of this chaos. And we had to guide our children through the experience that they'd had because our daughter was just about to turn two, our son just about to turn four. I watched them as they slowly reconciled themselves and processed what had happened. And a lot of the processing that that needed to happen was around the um, physiological effects of going through something that made their body believe that their life was in danger. How can you possibly put any context around that as a two-year-old or or a four-year-old? Even as an adult, it's quite difficult. Even now, if I feel a shake, my body goes, and I stop for a moment and I wait to see if it's going to get a lot worse. There's still a reaction. It's still in there that's been imprinted. But the kids, how can you even begin to understand the enormity um, of something like that. I had this experience with my son and it was months after the earthquake where we were driving to preschool and he said, mum, when I get really scared, my teeth go up and down really, really fast. These are the things that are going through their heads. He's just trying to make sense of things. That gave me an opportunity to just stop and, and go through that and give him some understanding and some words around that so he can understand why our bodies do that and what that was in response to. And that was not a normal everyday experience. That might have been a once in a lifetime thing that he went through and he may never have that same experience again. But just to give him some more understanding around really what was going on, because sometimes our bodies and our brains can do things that make very little sense, but all they're trying to do all the time is keep us alive. And sometimes what they do doesn't really work in our favour and is also quite hard to understand and quite confusing. So I think as I went through that process and then at the same time Flickr and I were starting to work on this project, it made me realise that actually we can do something that's more than about the everyday milestones that all children will go through, but we can deal with issues that are going to be trickier for parents to navigate with their kids, but can actually give a lot of understanding and give a sense of confidence to people who are going through those. And then through that understanding and by being able to have strategies that help you through more difficult situations, you're really building a lot of traits of resilience that you're going to be using for the rest of your life. So, you know, in in that sense, there was way more purpose and meaning than there had been in the beginning because it's children don't get traumatized because of bad things that happen to them, but they internalize trauma when they go through those bad things and those experiences while they feel that they're alone with them. So, If we have ways that we can talk to our children and draw out of them what they're feeling and what the um, physiological experiences are that they're having in their bodies or the thoughts that are going through their head and help them to make sense of those in a healthy way, then we're going to be setting them up really well for the rest of their life. They don't want to be like the rest of us who are going through therapy in our 30s and 40s. (laughs) Let's just give them some tools now and uh, imagine what they could do. Something you said earlier about giving the children the language to, the words to use. I hadn't even considered that before. Talk to me about that a little bit. Well, if we go back to the example I gave you when my son said, when I feel scared, my teeth go up and down really, really fast. So he understood what feeling scared was. But then this really weird thing happened with his mouth. because he, he went into shock at that moment when we were when we were going out of the house and I remember his little face was just white and he was chattering and he ended up being sick on himself just his body went into shock and so I was able to give him that language to say yeah when that happens that's your that's called your teeth are chattering and they chatter when our bodies have a really big fright 
And that's something that they do because our bodies work differently when we have a big fright and our brains work differently when we have a big fright. And sometimes our bodies do funny things to deal with that. But when you give kids words around things, particularly about, about feelings uh, and emotions, it helps their brainstem to calm down. Having that command over understanding their experience and being able to put words in context around an experience helps their brain stems to calm down. So that's why it's so important when kids are having a big emotional reaction, say your toddler is on the floor in the supermarket kicking and screaming because they wanted to get a popsicle. We're not allowed to get a popsicle today. And for us, frankly, it's pretty annoying. (laughs) But what's happening for that child is they're having a real emotional experience that is big for them in their world. And we can't actually invalidate that because what's happening for them in that moment is real. And But even being able to go, yeah, I can see that you're really upset about that, aren't you? You really wanted that popsicle and you're really upset that we can't have it. I can see that that calms their brainstem because we go, yeah, I've seen you. I hear you. I acknowledge what's going on for you. It's true that you are having a big emotional reaction. And they're like, oh, good. (laughs) I mean, it's probably not that easy, but that is something that really calms their brainstem. I think it's that sense of um, unpredictability, the unknown feeling out of control, uncertainty. We can all think about experiences in our own lives. That makes us feel really uncomfortable. Even people in lockdown, not having certainty over when they'll be able to get out, when they'll be able to get back to work, when their kids will go to school, when things will return to normal. How will it look after? When will I see my family members? That sense of uncertainty and unpredictability makes us feel really out of control, really uncomfortable, And it's quite scary. As we get older throughout our lives, the way that we've found ways to feel secure is often to try and control as much as we can around around us and within our environment, which actually can work against us because a great trait of resilience is the ability to be able to adapt to change and embrace change, know that it's going to happen and just be able to make the little adjustments we need to make to accommodate it. We get really freaked out when we try to control everything and then we discover that everything is outside of our control. (laughs) I can speak from experience. (laughs) Yeah, you just described what's happened in the last 18 months because everything you're saying about being able to, to identify and communicate what's going on for us, most of us adults haven't had any training in that and we don't necessarily understand what's going on for us like when your son said to you mum I don't think I had enough sleep last night like for me it wouldn't have even dawned on me that was what was going on to communicate it prior to somebody pointing it out to me yeah Yeah. so that's got to be a big thing as well in teaching and communicating to the parents stuff yeah that's right and I think we we don't realize the effect that the state of our own well-being has on the people around us. So often we're just trying to keep things together. We're just trying to go from one thing to the next and have it not keep all the balls in the air. And But meanwhile, kids are, are picking up on an, on an atmosphere, on someone's feelings, on someone's behaviour, and they're taking a lot of information from that. As other people are, we don't understand the impact that that's having on kids. And an, another example I can give is that I probably should be paying my son for this. It's, he's, he's really brought about a lot of a, a lot of personal growth for me. But I remember he was sitting at the kitchen bench having his afternoon tea one day 
and I was hastily trying to do dinner and lunch boxes and get things going. I had a million things on my mind and I was wanting him to do his maths homework and he was giving me some pushback on it and, and I wasn't having it and I was getting worked up and irritable and I just wanted it done and I wasn't listening to him and all of this perfect storm. And he said to me, mum, when you're like this, I can't trust you. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because when I'm like this, I'm unpredictable and I'm unstable. And you can't feel secure in that. You can't trust someone when they're in that state. That was really interesting. But how common is it to feel that way as a parent? To be rushing and to, to be irritable and to be tired and to be trying to manage a million things at once. And then the effect that is having is that someone else's experience is I feel insecure and unsafe. And that's not to make parents feel bad about their behavior or where they're at, because this is normal. We're not designed to actually deal with the amount of things that we have going on in the modern world. Our brains are simply, frankly, not designed for it, not our fault. But it does make you go, okay, well, in fact, it is important that I prioritize my well-being and my self-care because that's having a knock-on effect for the people around me. Also, I don't want to be a role model to my kids that this is how life is and this is how adulthood is and this how you behave and how you operate because I don't want them feeling that sense of stress and that's necessary and normal I don't think that's a good that's not good role modeling from me I just think it's powerful messages to get from your kids when they give you that feedback and it's hard because you don't sometimes you want to invalidate their observation at that point I'm not doing anything wrong no I'm not <laughs> that's tempting but but actually that's really valuable information to get someone what it's saying is your personal needs are not being met your personal needs for feeling rested and not overwhelmed they're not being met you're maybe not getting the support that you need it's all information <laughs> it was interesting on that same kind of topic I know what my eldest said to me when he was about nine or ten mum You've got to follow through. If you make a threat, you've got to follow through. Otherwise, I don't feel safe. Wow. Because he can't predict the future. Yeah. And that was really like, oh, okay. Sorry, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go out tomorrow then. <laughs> if, if you want to lose the PlayStation, then fine. If I must, I will take it away. Absolutely. But that was a real shock to me that it's that predictability thing, isn't it? And if somebody in authority says something, they've actually got to follow through on what they say. Otherwise, the child doesn't feel safe. And that was a defining moment for me in my parenting because I went, oh, okay, I've got to be careful, one, of what I say I'm going to do. Because if I say something when I'm in a bad temper, I've got to actually be prepared to follow it through or else retract it straight away or else just go, and I've done this a fair few times, I'm really sorry, I'm just in a bad temper, just ignore what I said, give me five minutes and I'll come back to you. Yeah, that's great. And the thing is, when we are in the sort of pressure cooker of family life, there are going to be ruptures in our relationships. There are going to be things that are said um, that shouldn't have been said. There are going to be actions that are taken that, that shouldn't have been taken. And ruptures are fine so long as there are reparations made that need to be made. 
In fact, that builds resilience. We are going to make mistakes and it's fine to make mistakes. We're human and we need to show our kids that it's fine to make mistakes and that we are always redeemable. We can always make repair where we need to make repair. And if that means, and I have done this so many times where I'm like, get in the car, you know, I've completely lost my, <laughs> I mean, who hasn't? And then been driving down the drive and go, okay, guys, I am feeling a bit stressed because we're running late. That's not your fault. I'm just going to take a few deep breaths right now to calm down. And then we're going to get on our way. I'm sorry for yelling at you. I shouldn't have yelled at you. Just like make the reparations. No one deserves to be spoken to that way. And I don't want them to think that if I condition them to accept any kind of like verbal aggression from me, then I'm training them to accept that from other people. I don't want them to do that. They don't deserve that. They need better boundaries than that. And they often remind me of what their boundaries are and I want them to keep doing it. It's great to also give them the dialogue that they can use when they need to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And then it's great for them to see that mistakes aren't failures. Failures can just grind you to a halt. And then you won't try again because it's too risky. If you let someone feel like they've failed, you come down too hard on them, they'll stop trying. But if you see mistakes as okay it's a course correction that that course didn't work out and we're going to go this way now and we're going to try that and then everyone just gets on with it and gets on with their lives things are forgiven and everyone moves on it means that you can admit your mistakes and you can say sorry and that's going to be safe to do so and then everyone just gets on with their lives so much better (laughs) it is i saw a meme on facebook that said something about there was some american indians and one of their greetings in the morning was i hope you make 20 mistakes today because mistakes are opportunities for growth and i thought oh isn't that great it's not a mistake it's not a failure it's a learning it's just like that happens if you're not making mistakes you're not growing and developing you're not living if you're not making a mistake and it's just an oopsie oopsie yeah exactly and people around you we need to teach um our kids how to be like yep apology accepted okay let's move on we need to teach people how to do that and we just need to role model that in ourselves because we'll give ourselves plenty of opportunity to do it and the other thing was yeah we all know people in our lives who are incapable of taking accountability for their actions and saying sorry everyone knows someone like this at least one and when you think about how destructive that is for your relationship the lack of trust that you develop in that person and then how much you just begin to distance yourself from someone like that because you're sick of accepting that that behavior and you shouldn't have to it's not that hard it's so the, the the first times you feel do these things it feels hard it feels uncomfortable because often we've grown up in in families where if we made a mistake we got in a lot of trouble And then so either you want to hide your mistakes or you don't want to take accountability for your mistakes or you feel like a failure or you don't want to try again because it hasn't been an environment that's really felt safe for you to do that. But we can change that for our kids. Talking about teaching kids where their boundaries are, how do you as a parent communicate to your kids where your boundaries are? Because you've got to be the example for them in this. And I know those conversations can be quite difficult. Like you are way over the boundary right now, mate. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How do you do that? I think what I do is I verbalise a lot of the thought process that I have, a lot of the thought processes that, that, that I have with them. I think that goes for things other than just boundaries as well. Giving them 
reason and seeing how you're coming to that conclusion and why you're choosing to take the next action is really helpful to them because that's intrinsic for us now. We've trained ourselves or we've had some help with that training and and we're able to do that. But for kids, they, they don't have that and they're figuring it out as they're going along from what they're observing around them. So yeah, verbalizing a lot more than you need to is important and saying things like, we don't hit one another in this family. That's not just, you've done something wrong. Don't you do that to that person? We don't. This is our standard. We don't do that. We don't say these words to one another. I won't allow you to use that word with me. I won't allow you to treat me in that way. But being very explicit and specific, using specific examples as well is important. Yeah, and and talking about things like when when they're in the bathroom or something, for example, I say, would you like some privacy? I'll give you some privacy. And because it's something that you're also meeting a need that they have or something that they want. And so then they understand this is our standard. I deserve privacy. You deserve privacy. Yeah. We just, we talk about things pretty openly in our household and some of it feels quite experimental sometimes, but yeah, like I, I parenting, would, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Totally. I mean, I really thought that when I had that first baby that an operator's manual might drop out at the same time, and it didn't. <laughs> You're just like, You're leaving me with this? Well, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's sometimes hit and miss, and you take cues from one another and you learn from one another, and you together you sort of you find your way forward. But we talk about all kinds of things together, and I say to them that um, you'll never get in trouble for telling me the truth. And my son will say to me, mum, if I tell you something, you're not allowed to get angry. And if I agree to that, then I have to stick with that. Yeah, you do what you say you're going to do. That's really important. The other thing that we've just started doing recently, which they kind of insisted upon, and so I've gone with it because this is where I get all my parenting information really is from my children. And at night, they want me to just lie down with them each for a few minutes. And then they just start talking about, their day or their problems or their worries and they started that and often like if I pick them up after school and they say I've had the worst day ever and what's happened I don't want to talk about it <laughs> nothing oh, right I tried pushing and pushing and pushing no no budging they weren't ready to talk about it but at night when they're lying down and unwinding they actually want to offload some of that stuff at that point and a time that's quiet before they go to sleep. And so they've started this new thing and I'm going along with it and it's working pretty well. That's where they talk about you know, what their worries are or what happened in their day and who said what to who and, and all of the stuff. And they kind of get to offload that at the end of the day and then they're ready to go on. Another mistake I made recently was um, my son had snatched a book off my daughter and everyone was upset and he was angry that she had had it for too long. She was upset that he had snatched it off her. And it wasn't as simple as you did the wrong thing to that person. So you say sorry. And I was trying to get, I was trying to get this resolution. I was trying to get them to bring about this resolution with one another and everyone to make their reparations. And he just shut down. And that triggered me because I don't want to have a son that just shuts down and doesn't talk about what's going on. And so I was sort of pushing my own agenda a bit and pushing too hard. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. This isn't actually about what I want to get out of the situation. I said, mate, are you, do you just need some time to process how you feel about this before you can talk about it? Is that what's going on right now? And he said, yes. And I said, okay. 
he's like, I still feel angry. Okay, shall we leave this for now? And how about we come back and we talk about this in the morning? Yes, that's what we're going to do. And they did. And they got up in the morning and they were making their breakfast. And he gave Frankie a really specific apology for snatching the book. And she gave him a very specific apology for having the book too long. And, and everyone got on with it. And I thought, God, that taught me a lot in that moment that it is it, it can't always happen in the timing that you want things to happen in. Sometimes people need some time to process their feelings. He was not ready to say sorry for something when he was still needing to process his feelings of anger. And that had to happen in in his time and, for, and everyone agreed to that and then we got past it so I mean yeah it's it's interesting stuff <laughs> constant learning curve constant learning curve yeah you can't get bored <laughs> no and it never changes mine are all grown up now it's still learning yeah yeah so let's wrap it up there just tell me quickly again how people can get in touch with you. I'll do the web page that goes with the podcast and all the information will be on there anyway, but just tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. People can find us at mybigmoments.com. That's our website where you can look at all the books, read all the books and have a go, have a play around. But you can put yourself in the book if you like and see what it sounds like when Karen's going through her little adventure. The other place to get us is on, we're on Instagram and Facebook, but Instagram seems to be the place where most people like to join in. And that's at My Big Moments. And if you want to send us a message, you can DM us from there. You can email us at hello at My Big Moments. And we're very contactable. We're right there. Yeah, we love to hear from people. So it's really nice actually just to have all these parents who are having these different experiences. And we did a post the other day about sleep. My business partner decided that she cannot co-sleep with her children when they need to crawl into bed with her, but she can co-room with them. And she's been putting a little mattress on the floor. So if they need her in the night, they just come and they sleep next to her bed on the mattress. And then everyone is getting the sleep they need. Everyone's getting the comfort that they need. And it's actually working. And so we had this discussion on our Instagram the other day and that people love that because I think there's also a sense of guilt sometimes when you're like, why aren't I the person that enjoys snuggling up with my child? Um, but we did liken them to sleeping with an octopus that's trying to frisk you for your car keys. And that's why I don't like sleeping with your child. We think with so, Mike Tyson as well sometimes, isn't he? Yes, exactly, what? exactly. With no rules about where you get contact either. So, yeah, those are the places to, to get in touch with us. And, yeah, it'd be nice to see people there and hear their thoughts and yeah, it's always, good. it's always good to touch base with other parents and understand what's happening for them because we like to put out information through uh, Instagram and Facebook that's actually helpful for people and helpful for them and themselves and their families and their kids. And it's great to know what people are thinking about and what their struggles are. And then with whatever information we've got, we'll pull it together in a way that's quite digestible. Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking today, Hannah. It's been yeah, really it's great. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.